Nothing but disunion can hurt our cause. This will ruin it. If great prudence, temper, and moderation is not mixed in our councils and made the governing principles of the contending parties. The words of General George Washington. And this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we look at the impeachment hearings and what they say about the challenges facing the Republic. We'll cover the Democratic debate in our Hot Take segment and wrap with our Guardians of the Week. Please make sure to subscribe and give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. But first, Patrick, what is new on the polling front? Nothing. Let's get move on right to impeachment. Now. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> no, I, yes, I, I mean there, there's polls out there, but uh, we got a lot to talk about in this impeachment stuff. Uh, that's okay, going I agree. It's really important. So let's <laughs> let's go on to that. And in fact, I wanted to start off because we we have so much to talk about. But there was something that uh, Devin Nunes, uh, the ranking Republican member of the committee, said uh, in one of his opening statements that really resonated with me, and I thought it would resonate with you, and I wanted to get your reaction to this. Mm -hmm. Remind my friends on the other side of the aisle that our first president, George Washington, directed his own diplomatic channels to secure a treaty with Great Britain. If my Democratic colleagues were around in 1794, they'd probably want to impeach him, too. Uh, So... uh, General, what do you think of yeah. that? Uh, here's what I think of that. I think that that shows some gall. I think if we look back to what was happening in 1794 and the treaty that was going on with England at the time, what President George Washington was doing is what he felt was best for the country. What President Trump was doing, it seems to me, um, was really what was best for President Trump. That is an immense differentiation that must be made I've had many times where I've watched President Trump standing in front of a portrait of General Washington giving a speech, and the, the dissonance that I have felt has always been extreme. To hear Devin Nunez uh, reference President Trump and General Washington in the same idea is uh, distasteful to me. It's, it's, it, it borders on the blasphemous. In many ways, in, in 1794, there was the fight between Britain and France, and uh, the Americans. We were trying to stay out of it. New country. We're still trying to get our, uh, you know, our, our feet under us. And so there was a there was a difference of opinion. The Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson wanted to back France. Uh, Alexander Hamilton, the Secretary of the Treasury, wanted to back Britain. Uh, so what George Washington decided to do, rather than to send. Uh, the Secretary of State, Jefferson, over. He sent John Jay, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, over to Britain to negotiate a treaty. And then the treaty was negotiated and approved by the Congress. This was no backroom deal. This was no private channel. This was a new republic trying to find its way, and the president doing above board what, in fact, turned out to be one of the least popular things he ever did as president— but this is all above board. There's, there is absolutely nothing that, that compares to what we're talking about with President Trump today. And that, yeah, I find that incredibly distasteful 
that Nunes would even try that. Yeah, let's go over. Let's start going. Yeah, over. so okay, let's go. Yeah, let's. Uh, I just wanted to bring that up. It's fair since, enough. Uh, since, since, uh, since we had the we we, we had, uh, you know, you inhabited the president for or, or the general for many years and yeah, for uh, many for four years for four long, positive, really um, wonderful years. I do feel a, a, a close connection to General Washington. It is a pleasure every week to do the quote at the top of our show. Um, it's always a pleasure for me to do that, to sort yes. of set, set steps right back into those boots, at least metaphorically for a moment. Um, but it's not a less pleasurable indeed to hear uh, General Washington's name, a man of greatness, of imperfect greatness without question, not a perfect human being. There are many things that we could talk about at later times. However, to compare him with President Trump is an unfair comparison to both. All right, so let us go through the witnesses. So in our last week's podcast, we covered the first hearing, uh, but we've got a whole bunch uh, starting at the end of last week, uh, and we'll go right through them. So what did you think about uh, Ambassador Yovanovitch and I was her testimony? So, I was so taken by her testimony, uh, by her simplicity of, of and her care. And one of the moments that really stood out for me was Representative Sewell um, from Louisiana, I believe, um, Alabama. She, I'm sorry, Alabama. My apologies. Mm -hmm. uh, Representative Sewell, she asked her a question. It was really late in the process. Representative Sewell tends to, she, because of seniority, speaks, asks questions rather late. Um, and she asked about how this experience was for Representative for Ivanovich and for her family. And it was the one time where this this very kind woman, seemingly kind woman, Ambassador Ivanovich, she, she really had to catch her breath and sort of hold back what seemed to be tears um, mm. when Representative Sewell asked her what it's been like for her family. And you really watched her catch her breath and say, I would really rather not discuss that if I might. And being a father myself and a family man myself, the idea of these heroes get, being willing to step forward in the way that they are, um, how that's going to affect not just them but their families, it, it was very devastating to yeah. watch. Yeah, Fiona Hill, who um, was on the last, pan the most recent panel, mm -hmm. uh, actually stepped up to defend uh, the ambassador, uh, basically saying, "Look, I understand they are there are changes in ambassadorships. Somebody wants to, a new president comes in and wants to put in a political yep. appointee. That is their right." And then, but. Fiona Hill said the way that she was treated, there was absolutely no cause for that whatsoever. There was also that it's moment. No excuse. There was that moment where she said, where Yovanovitch said this, you can replace me, that's fine, but why did they have to smear my character? Right. My 30 years. And then for people, you know, she was one of the most decorated ambassadors, public servants, foreign national servants that we have. And she, she, she said, she kept asking, but why did, you, why did he have to do it that way? Why, why did he have to threaten me? You know, she spoke so movingly of what it was like to to read the July 25th call and see that something she's going to go through some things. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, is that just off the cuff for the president or does that mean that she's going to be in danger? And it was uh, it was really it was a very challenging thing to watch. It was also early in the process. Right. I mean, right. it was we, we'd seen Taylor. We'd seen Kent. Um, but here was Ambassador Yovanovitch, and each one of these witnesses that we are going to talk about each had moments like this where it was just sort of like, wow, look at these people. Look at these remarkable people that we're so lucky are representing us mm -hmm. during these horrible, dangerous times. 
Right. So then we go on to this week, and we open the week with Jennifer Williams, who was a State Department official who is expert in Europe and Russia, detailed to the vice president. She's mm-hmm. serving for the vice president. And Alexander Vindman, who ah. is working in the White House as the Lieutenant National Colonel. Security Council. Lieutenant, mm-hmm. yes, Lieutenant Please. Colonel Alexander Vindman, uh, and the N- N- National Security Council uh, security expert on Eastern Europe. Yeah. So what, who do you want to take first there? Well, let's just do Jennifer Williams first. You know, you have to tip your cap to her, don't you, for uh, for being willing to step forward and say that what she saw was unusual and uh, inappropriate. I, I think she used that word, inappropriate. Uh, and she, she didn't really have that much more that she brought to the table, but just being someone who works in Vice President Pence's office, who was willing to come out and say, yeah, I read it, and it was it was shocking. No, she was, was she on the call? Uh, she was not on the call, but no. she had read it and thought that it was it was very deeply unusual. Right. And I she, thought she was a very good witness. Yeah, and she was. I mean, she was, uh, she was a little bit more reserved in what she wanted to say about things that she observed, and she didn't mm-hmm. want to go beyond what she observed. And what I thought was problematic, not for her, but for the Republicans, is that they use the fact that she was a little bit more reserved in her interpretation of what was going on than uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman was in the same hearing. And they tried to use that as saying, see, you two don't even agree. And it was just simply a matter of degrees in which that what they were willing to say and not that they disagreed. Um, And I thought she held herself uh, well under that kind of pressure. And moving on to Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, what were your impressions? Oh, man, what can you say, say about this guy? I mean, you know, the, he's gotten some flack from Republicans for showing up in full dress uniform there. It was there, appropriate. But uh, one of the things that he, and he didn't need to say that, but as he was under attack by the Republicans on that, on that uh, stage, including under attack for not being loyal to this country, and just amazing, yes. is that it was clear that this guy earned that uniform that he was wearing as he stood there and, or sat there and took that. His modesty, uh, his service, uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was humbling to see someone who was so grateful to be an American. His relationship to his father, he had lost his mother at a very early age. His twin brother, his other brother, all had served. Uh, we have a quote that will we'll play later of a remarkable moment. Yeah, I mean, I know. Do you, you, have fr- you have friends who, who, uh, who were, at least were born in, uh, behind the Iron Curtain in the Soviet Union? Yes, I do. Yeah, actually, yeah. So, yeah. right. And don't, you, they might not remember it if they came over when they were young. They might not remember a lot of it, but certainly their parents do. Mm-hmm. And their parents remember you know, what it's like to live in a system that is autocratic and stamps down on free speech. And certainly a Lieutenant Colonel Vindman and his twin brother, who was also- Right a, behind a, a lawyer, right. which was funny. Right, right. <laughs> um, Castro, uh, Castro had, a, had a funny moment too, where you yes. say, I hope your brother's nicer to, to you than my brother is to me, made me grow this darn beard. Yeah. That was funny. And yeah, that, that was that one was of good. his better moments of the week. But, but he understands. I mean, he grew up understanding what America really means from- because he yeah. grew up in, in, in an environment where people knew what would happen if you take any of these liberties away. Something that, guess what? Most Americans today really do not grasp what not the different, how different it could be. Yeah, not, not yet. Right. Um, but they could be. But yeah, I mean, he was just, 
uh, just he was unflappable and considering a like I, I think it's him and Ambassador uh, Yovanovitch have just been under under such incredible pressure. Him under even more so because now he's Indeed, under threat. Far more. Yeah, and also we had the section we had the the section where they they were trying to get him to admit that he was the one who was in touch with the whistleblower, and that was that was some messy messy stuff for yeah. the Republicans. And uh, he, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, handled himself uh, really uh, remarkably well. The next day, uh, we had Tim Morrison, who was the White House NSC advisor, who took over for um, for Dr. Hill and Kurt Volker. Who was a very interesting character? What were your feelings about that? Yeah, day? Kurt Kurt Volker uh, has had served, I think, under President Bush. Um, he was actually a volunteer envoy to Ukraine. He was right, brought not in, being paid. That's he's right, not being paid. Right, so he uh, was brought in to help negotiate uh, a new a treaty or deal or something with 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 Ukraine, uh, and had great when wanted very badly to do so. I'm going to tell you, I felt badly for Kurt Volker on that mm-hmm. day. I, I admired him. Here's a man whose name has turned to mud over these last months. Um, one of the three amigos, one of the people who are working behind the scenes. And you look at him and you go, you're caught up in something. And the whole Barisma versus Biden, there's this thing going on now where with both Kurt Volker and Gordon Sondland, who we're going to discuss later, where both of them, during their original depositions behind closed doors, said that they did not know that when Barisma was going on, that it was about Joe Biden, which is, frankly, uh, Im- virtually impossible to believe, mm-hmm. frankly. But because they said that behind closed doors, if they were to change their testimony about that, it seems that there would be some some cr- criminal jeopardy for them. So what they were right. left to do <laughs> was to hold to that idea and watching Kurt Volker, who clearly was looking out for what was best for the Ukrainians without question, and also, I think I believe, for America at the same time, he's just put into the worst situation that you could possibly dream of. Yeah. So anyway, Kurt Volker, Tim Morrison... Tim Morrison, it was interesting because Alexander Vindman, there was a lot of talk about whether Vindman had gone over Morrison's head because Morrison was Vindman's direct report, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Vindman was sort of like, yeah, he just showed up. (laughs) Like, it took a, you know, my my relationship was with Hill, and now he's shown up, and I, I, you know, it, it, it was an interesting spot. So I was expecting Morrison to really come out as a better witness for the Republicans, but he really didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He basically confirmed... Very good. Let's go on to uh, Gordon Sunland, the ambassador to the European Union. Wow, Gordon Sunland. You know, he's an interesting guy, isn't he? Yes, um, he is. Yeah, Hotel. what did you think? Of- yeah, so this is a guy who owns a chain, a small chain of boutique hotels. Uh, he has this appointment as a political appointee. And he donated, I think it was a million dollars or something. He bought a VVIP. Yeah, VVIP pass to the inauguration, right? So and <laughs> very, suddenly, very important person. Suddenly he's the ambassador to the EU. So now you expect, and he's still the ambassador to the EU. So you, you expect that this is going to also be one of Trump's strongest supporters there. Without a doubt. And the right? question going into it was really all about how often will Gordon Sondland take the fifth tomorrow? Right. That was the question Thursday night. And he answered every question. He looked like he was happy to answer every question. He looked, I'll tell you, that moment at 8.30 in the morning where that came out, Twitter exploded. Mm -hmm. And the networks exploded because, are you kidding me? He's he in he basically said, we are following the president's orders. Everyone was involved. Yeah. It was an absolute shock. And and he handled himself. 
Go ahead. I was going to want to ask you, what did you think of him in terms of being on the stand, as it were, or being, you know, being un- as, a, as his performance there? I found him very charming, um, surprisingly. Uh, he was very forthcoming. He was not afraid to express his feelings about what he thought was. He, he, his main point was everyone was talking about his main point was everyone saying that, that we were doing an irregular channel. It wasn't a regular. It was the president, the secretary of state, the vice president, everyone in the secretary of energy. All of these people were working together. So I thought this is the regular channel. And, you know, he, he it was a moment. There were so many gifs and memes on Twitter of, you know, people just being thrown under buses. And he did. He threw them under buses. And Devin Nunez was not adept enough to change his tactic. No. He said That's he went true. so far as to say you're going to be smeared today. <laughs> I found I By found whom? Gordon Sondland, uh, the nicest way I can put this is a little impish. Yeah, that's right. He seemed impish. Now, and this is a demonstration of here's a political appointee. Now, you got to remember most countries have very few politically appointed ambassadors. They're usually career uh, career foreign service professionals mm-hmm. uh the u.s has a very high number of political and amb- we're one of the few countries that does this kind of thing but and he's one of them so and it was and a huge it, one at that right so it's obvious when you when you see him up there it's obvious he is not ingrained in that <laughs> culture it was of, part of, of why it was service. fun to watch and it, it was, was part, but but you know there was also it was fun to watch it was also part when i say impish was the nice way to put it there's also a part of him that i kind of distrusted uh, that yeah. just didn't come across well for me, that this is a guy who liked to be the center of attention and therefore he was willing to say what, I mean, I, you know, he's confirming what, everything else that we've heard from anybody, <laughs> everybody else, but he almost seemed to be enjoying the fact that he was throwing people under the bus. I think one of the key moments was when someone, I forget who it was, said, we want to talk to you about the Gordon problem. And he said, you've been talking to my wife because she talks about me being a problem all the time. <laughs> and I was like, you're really going to try to get away with that. And you're getting away with it. It was sort of charming. It looked like someone who had carried a load on their shoulders for months and just decided, I'm going to let go of that load. And you have to wonder how much Roger Stone's um, conviction played a part in this. Because yeah. just four days earlier, Roger Stone was going to, is going to jail. And I had heard one thing where Sondland's wife said, yeah, why don't you not protect... Um, the president and everyone else why don't you protect yourself and your family mm-hmm. everyone who works for president trump gets thrown under the bus yeah it seems and it's just a matter of time and here was gordon sondland returning the favor it was impressive i don't know i i, I have to say that it was uh it was entertain it was an entertaining long time that only had a few moments where it got a little tense at the end and we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes but it, overall it was a it was it was a good time so the final one uh, that happened uh, just before we, or wrapped up just before we were recording this, is uh, Fiona Hill, who was the NSC advisor to the White House uh, director, I should say. She was the director before Morrison. And uh, David Holmes, who was a, an advisor, a State Department advisor in at the embassy in Kiev, Ukraine. Kiev, apparently. It's Kiev. Kiev. Oh, yeah, it's Kiev. Yeah, we Kiev. really have to make that adjustment. It's Kiev. Yeah, it's Kiev. Um, so David Holmes is the one who said he overheard the phone call. He overheard tr- Donald Trump on the phone call <laughs> right. with Gordon Sondland at the t- at the table. This was this, this is great. This is it, great stuff. But I don't know if you say when he 
told the story of that. He made clear, he said, I don't have notes on this, but I can tell you every single thing about what was happening in that moment. It is crystal clear in my mind, this is exactly how it went. And the reason I can say that is not every day you're sitting in a restaurant on the outside terrace of a restaurant where the President of the United States, where the person you're with is having a conversation with a very loud President of the United States who is, you know, saying, are they gonna, it's the day after, it's July 26th, it's the day after the phone call with uh, President Zelensky, and he said, I simply heard President Trump ask, are they going to do the investigations? He then followed that in a conversation with Sondland, who, you know, Sondland's not a careful guy. No. You right. know, he's not careful. That's why so, I was saying this is what, what we saw in his testimony. It was clear that he just doesn't understand how you're supposed to do things. Yeah. And so Which is that's why, why this became – this became that's why Holmes – uh, testimony is so believable. We just saw yeah, Gordon Sondland in action, so it's very easy to say, "Yeah, I'll take the call with the president out here on the terrace and let him yell at, in the phone." Right. Yeah. And 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 then he said, "Well, what does the president want?" And he said, "He said he doesn't care about you know he doesn't care about Ukraine. All he cares about is the big stuff, the Biden stuff." And the fact that he said that on July 26th is proof. I don't want to get too deep into that, but that Sondland and Volker both knew that Burisma was Biden. Which is was very frustrating for for many of the Democratic members. Um, and Fiona Hill was, I mean, what was your take on her? She's, Fiona, Fiona Hill. She was out for blood. British born, um, so she still has her accent. Um, made quite clear. She says, "I may be British born." She says, "But my loyalty is is to America. This is the job that I do." Um, and she was just she was ticked off at everybody. She was ticked off at how Vinman was treated. She was ticked off at how Yovanovitch was treated. She was ticked off about the, how the whole thing went down. It was obviously ticked off about how left. Ukraine was being treated. Yes. Um, so and she how was Russia. just and, and and she was probably of all the witnesses the one that that w- gave the most friendly testimony towards the Trump side of the story. In a and way. What, in a way. But but what I mean is that she was just being honest. She was saying, look, the. They're, the folks in the Ukraine thought Hillary Clinton was going to be president. They tried to curry favor with her before the election. Then the election turned and uh, she lost. Donald Trump won. She said, I can understand. I'm paraphrasing, but she basically said, I can understand in that situation why President Trump and his people would, would feel like they're out to get him. Would feel you know, a yeah, problem with Ukraine. But she says, well, I understand it. So she did a lot of that kind of thing. It's to say, look, I understand. This is how it works. But if you're going to do that, like what she said about Yovanovitch, you don't tear the person down. You just replace them. What she said about Vinman. She said, you're trying to like use this. Uh, remember, they're trying to use uh, Vinman's uh, job review where he didn't get a great job right. review for a promotion right. or something. She said, you are taking it out of context. She said, we were talk. I was looking at him as a as, as moving into a political position. And that's not where his skill set is. And that's what I was evaluating on. And then she went on to laud him in the job that he does right now, which is, you know, security top, analysis. I believe he right. was called top 1% in his field. Yeah, yes. She just said, she says, I don't, I didn't think that he had all the necessary skills to serve on the political side and understand the political nature of the different types of jobs that you would do. Not that he wasn't doing a good job or even the best job. Uh, and whereas she was really just on top of it, she just didn't want to take. She wasn't taking guff from anybody. Well, good. 
Good. Yeah. And, you know, one one thing the Republicans kept talking about was why were the Ukrainians so on, you know, in the in in the can for Hillary Clinton as opposed to Donald Trump? Well, because Donald Trump during while he was candidate and while perhaps was engaged with what Russia might want was saying things like, well, Crimea should just go to Russia. Yeah. Well, you know, how would you feel? Who yeah. would you be rooting for? Yeah. If you found that out. So I. Eh. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay, so right. now we want to uh, move on to the actual members of the committee. And remember, uh, just as, as our program note here, we're, we're, we're breaking down right now the performances of the individuals. We're looking at the individual performance levels. And at the end, we will get to the big picture here. Mm-hmm. So hang on as we go through this, because we're starting off with uh, Chairman Adam Schiff here. Okay, so for me, for Adam Schiff, I think that we both discussed how his original conversation where he talked about eight times where he kind of you know freelanced a little bit how right. how we both he, that day he, 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 he filled in a little blanks that he should not yeah. have filled in in terms of both, what was said in that in the, in that uh, transcript yep in that moment we discussed how we thought that was inappropriate and mm-hmm. we were unhappy that he did that that being said i have found him to be uh first class absolute a plus during this time because what he's done is he's been able to keep his cool as the republicans on the committee have been trying to throw wrenches into the operation left and right and he's really done a fantastic job of just keeping things moving and then not only has he been part of the questioning along with goldman uh the council who we discussed last week but he also ends every day and all of these, and, and try and summarizes it in a in a very very powerful language. So for me, Adam Schiff has been as good as I could have possibly hoped outside of that first day. Yeah, I mean, I I still feel that that what happened on that first day still undermines his credibility as we go along. But in terms of making sure that this does not turn into a circus, uh, he has done a stellar job. Stellar. I'll just give you a, a couple of examples, just from today, just from. Uh, uh, his interactions with uh, with Holmes and and Hill, he continued to remind the uh, the witnesses that when he when they're being because at this point they're being asked about all the prior testimony, right? And he's just saying, remember, the way that it's presented to you may not be factually accurate <laughs> in terms of what they actually said. So don't be compelled to try to respond to what. You're being told that that person said, regardless of what side of the aisle that comes from. Mm-hmm. But my favorite moment was, uh, so you know, uh, Jim Jordan, uh, who the late appointee to this committee, just so he could go there and defend Trump in his shirt sleeves, is questioning David Holmes. And he just keeps going after Holmes and keeps going after Holmes and interrupting him and really not letting Holmes answer the questions that he's supposedly asking. And Holmes is, is in the middle of a, a question that he's answering, and the time expires. And Jordan jumps in. And Adam Schiff says to Jordan, he says, uh, or says to, he says actually to David Holmes, the member's time has expired, but yours has not. Mm-hmm. Continue answering the question mm-hmm. until you're done. He said, you, you, and he did that throughout. He would say, your time is up, but the witness can, can continue to answer the question until And doing done. it with such steadiness and yes. not getting pulled into the energy about Jim Jordan, the old expression, if you don't have anything nice to say, I'm going to leave it right there. Jim Himes is next Jim Himes. List. Okay, well, folks, um, we found out the other night that Jim Himes is a turn fanboy 
Uh, <laughs> so you, you met him in a bar, didn't you? Well, I was, I'm was. i in D.C. I'm actually yeah. I'm in D.C. right now uh, working with uh, the New Deal Democrats, which is a very uh, wonderful group. Um, and anyway, he was at, there was an event last night. He ended up showing up at the event. I saw him walk in. I've been so overall pleased with how Jim Himes is doing. Like I've really made note of him and I saw him walk in. I was like, ah, man, there's Jim Himes. I'd love to talk to him. And I was talking to, uh, another gentleman and then he goes, I'm going over to say hi to Jim Himes. And I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to hang back. I'm not really. And then the gentleman comes running back over to me and goes, dude, Jim Himes is like dying to meet you. He's the hugest fan. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that opens that up. And then we had a really, uh, really great conversation. They took a Good. little selfie picture. And then he said, I'm going to have, I've had a really rough day, but I'm going to go have some fun with it. Uh, and he did this uh, thing on Twitter where he, uh, you know, sort of said, my day's been tough, but I ended it with George Washington. And I was, uh, I was very pleased. I, I'm, I'm a big fan yes, of you, his you, authenticity. You, you, you called him a hero in your tweet reply <laughs> yeah i did you, got, you gave yeah, me a hard time about I, I, it yes i gave you a hard time about that well um, i feel i wait a minute now since you brought it up okay. i feel that every one of these members who are out there they are right now fighting for this republic presently every day and that it's not dress rehearsal this is the performances folks and if you are able to step up there and you're willing to stick your neck out and fight for the Republic in this so dangerous of a time, I'm willing to call every one of these people heroes, especially the, the people who are brave enough to come right. forward and testify. So, so give, me, give me one example for, on Jim Himes. In, in he had a moment, um, I believe it was with Yovanovitch, where he just expressed his, he said, you know what, he used salty language a little bit. He said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a man of the intelligence community. I've been working in the intelligence community for a long time, but it pisses me off the way that you're being treated. And, it, and it, you know, he felt it with such uh, vigor. And it was very moving to me. And this was before I had spent any time with him. And I went, good for you, Jim Himes. You're out there fighting the good fight. Next up on the... Well, on wait, the before is, we go... Oh, so one I'm to, sorry, go ahead. I got to give, uh, you know, today, uh, Jim Himes questioning. He threw in this as he revealed something. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's what, that's what he did in his questioning. So... I, I will say to you that, yes, these people are doing, uh, the, these members of the committee, particularly the Democrats, obviously, are doing the job that they need to do. I am holding off on the hero talk with them for the most part because, unfortunately, it is still intertwined with the partisanship of the day. And I think, you know, some of these things that happen, like the dun-dun-dun, are part of it. I'm not taking anything away from the the content of what they do, the substance of what they're doing, it's still unfortunate. So I'm holding the, out the heroes for those who really are putting themselves on the Fair line enough. in a way that uh, could hurt them in the end. So, But uh, ju that's just my side point on this. So let's go on to um, Eric Swalwell, who I, th I actually think is, is having a, a pretty good show here. At he is. Yeah, he is. He's he's actually done a fantastic job in the five minute time that he has. And he sort of brings, and this is going to sound like an insult, but it's not. If we think back to Anthony Weiner before he became sort of the scandal maker that he became, he was a Democrat who was willing to get up and fight. And that's not something that you typically see on the Democratic side. You see it from Jim Jordan on the right, but to see it from Eric Swalwell really con consistently. Uh, I'm I'm impressed by him. He obviously ran for president. He seemed a bit out of his league. Right now, it seems he's to me here. He's uh, he's he's in his league at least, if not you know 
ready to go to the next spot. I, I'm, I'm very impressed by Swalwell. I, well, think, uh, I think he's done a What I job. think where Swalwell's strength lies is understanding what's happened before him as the questioning is going yes, on, because he's point. kind of in the middle of the pack, right? And you And making sure that he gives the witnesses the opportunity to counter something that was said before that might cast aspersions on their reputation. Mm-hmm. And I think he's done a really good job at, at listening to that and then using his time to try to correct the record, as it were. Mm-hmm. I All agree right, so, with you. so Denny Heck next. You like Denny Heck. I okay. do. I, I, Denny Heck, he, he has had so many moments. He's a very mild-mannered man, and he speaks... Um, yeah. This is going to sound a weird... This is a weird. He's like a combination of Wilford Brimley and Kermit the Frog. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but that's actually dead on because he's got sort of the older man wisdom to him, but he also has the kindness of Kermit, the kind of care. He's great empathy. Uh, he had this wonderful moment with, um, gosh, it was with Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman where he was talking about um, how much he appreciated Vindman's service in the military. And he said that his older brother never came home from Vietnam. And he started to break down, Heck started to break down a bit in tears. Then yesterday, with Sondland, Sondland was, was starting to get beaten around a little bit towards the end. He had been holding people off, but now he's starting to get hit from the right, he was getting hit from the left. And Heck came out and just thanked him for being willing to speak out the way he did yesterday. And he's, and, and wait, no, it was more. He went back to the story of uh, Gordon Sondland's parents who escaped from the Nazis and made it to America at, when Sondland was age three. And he said that he can see that, that that's the reason. Is that the reason why you're willing to step forward to today, today and speak out in this way because of your gratitude to America? And it gave Gordon Sondland his best moment of the day where he said, yes, that, that is exactly why. And thank you so much, Congressman. And the value of Danny Heck um, it's Danny Heck for the win for me. I mean, I, he's he's impressed me greatly. Let's if you had to pick just one more Democrat to talk about, who would it be? And we got to talk about Sean Patrick Mahoney. Okay. Maloney, sorry, Raja Krishnamurthy had a nice moment also quickly with Alexander Vindman, where he said, "I too came over," and he started crying. A lot of tears on yeah. his dais. Um, but Sean Patrick Maloney, man, he is tough and yeah. he is smart. And he, I, you know, he has been incredibly impressive to me. Uh, going so far yesterday, after uh, Heck warmed, you know, softened Sondland up, Maloney gave him no quarter and really tore into him about the whole Biden and Burisma business and really didn't let him off the hook. And at one point, Sondland said, you know, I don't appreciate this line of questioning. And Maloney says, I don't appreciate that it's taking you three times to actually come out with the truth. Mm-hmm. So let's let's be clear on where we stand here, pal. I mean, Maloney, Maloney, I mean, he's he's got a big presence, Mm. um, but he does it in such a way that he's not it's not like he's yelling. Nope. Right. Like he's it's not like he's out of control, like we see on on the other side of the aisle with some of those uh, some of the members of Congress that he's in control. But he's a big, powerful voice up there, literally a powerful voice. And 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 we'll actually hear him. We're going to hear him at the end with. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. He's the one who's engaging yeah. Vindman on this question, which again was was absolutely fabulous in his storytelling ability. Yeah, story- very, yeah very exactly. Impressive. Okay, so let's turn uh, to a couple of the uh, Republicans. Who would you like? How about Michael Turner? I, go ahead. You go with Michael Turner. Uh, I don't have anything to say about Michael Turner. I, I mean, uh, you know, the the one that the uh, let me just jump to the one that I 
I'm paying the closest attention to, which is Will Hurd from sure. Texas, who's retiring, yeah. right? He's, he's leaving after, after this term. And uh, I just, it's interesting because he's trying to ask straight up questions and trying to stick to, you know, not stray from too far from the script. But, uh, you know, it's clear that he seems to be in an uncomfortable position there, to, at yeah, least to he, me. He does. No, he, in, in the questions that he's asked, although yesterday with, with, um, with Sondland, he was actually a little tough and he seemed to be sort of taking more of the Republican side. But with Williams and with Vindman and with Yovanovitch, it was almost as if he was a spy for the Democrats with the questions that he was asking. And I would not be surprised at all if he ended up voting with the Democrats in favor of impeachment. It would not surprise me in the least. Uh, I, I would guess that his heart is there. Yeah, but uh, so some of these others, Michael Turner, Chris Stewart, whatever. One of the things that I think is interesting, actually Ratcliffe, we'll bring him up today, is what they're trying to do in turning this is they keep bringing up Alexandra Chalupa. This is uh, somebody who's uh, worked for the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, uh, and actually had her job was to turn up dirt on Donald Trump during the campaign. She actually was getting some information Via Ukraine, she has Ukraine background, uh, and they want to, they keep, they use some of their questions to try to keep bringing her up. Why can't we have her on the stand? Why can't we have her on the stand? Uh, and so there, there's a question about you know should we care about this? Why should be she be there? The Democrats are avoiding that, uh, and I I don't know whether they're handing the Republicans anything at this point. I don't think they really are uh, by not calling her. Uh, but it's something, uh, you know, interesting, an interesting tactic there, like somehow that the fact that somebody was doing opposition research on Donald Trump for Hillary Clinton and was getting information from Ukraine at the same time, kind of is, is their argument that, that, that then this uh, forgives Donald Trump what he did with I the, mean, I, I don't know. I, I have the feeling that whatever the members on the Republican side can do to spin this or to muddy the water on this, they're going to try to do. Um, yeah. And it just seems like, it definitely seems like more of that but to me. remember that name, Alexandra Chalupa, because I have a feeling that this is, they're not going to let go of that. That's going to mm-hmm. be, at the end, what they hang on to. As so what's that the, where are you at? What is the prognosis of the patient this week? The patient being the Okay, so the big itself. picture. The big picture is I'm still pessimistic overall. I still see both partisan sides digging in. Uh, this is what... Alexander Hamilton had expressed concern about with the impeachment process if it became overly partisan and people just dug into their sides simply to dig into their sides and not look at the facts. And I, I see that happening still with the hearings that we saw today. I didn't see any breaks in in what we saw. So my feeling is if we don't have any breaks and we go through with an impeachment uh, uh, charges, get passed by the House, no, uh, it doesn't even matter to me at this point what happens in the in the Senate because it seems like that the folks who are on the Republican side, which is really the Trump party right now, are will never accept a- a- that there was anything to this, regardless of what happens. And even if he and then if he doesn't get convicted, they will feel that hey, we got away with this, and the twenty to thirty years of misuse of power and abuse and and creation of public mistrust of government will simply continue. And then the Constitution can't survive for much longer than that. So I'm still there in that. How about you? 
I am. I am of two minds about it. One is that, like we discussed last week with the patient and having to perform this operation and being absolutely necessary to do so, um, it may be too far too late. However, I, I, I do still have hope, uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's very challenging. There was, there was a good hour there where it felt like Vonlin, where Sunland was going to be the, the magic bullet, the smoking mm-hmm. gun. Uh, but they found their talking points, and they just right. sort of said, he never said it to you, he never said it to you, so he never really said it. Right. So it's going to it's gonna require... Uh, right, right. That was the question. That, that Did anybody from Ukraine specifically say that they felt pressure? Yeah. And well, nobody said that. A, yeah. Which is a, yeah. a fallacy of, a, of an argument as well. Yeah. Zelensky is not going to... Zelensky, like, Trump is going to be the president, at least for the next year, likely. And if he is to be reelected and Zelensky goes all in trying to get Trump out... Well, that's the end of everything for them. So it's, right. it's a very I dangerous will, spot. I will say, though, somebody sent me, uh, a correspondent, sent me a quote that actually helped put, put it in a little bit of perspective here. This was uh, the historian Ron Chernow who wrote uh, the biography of Ulysses S. Grant. And he recounted a story where Abraham Lincoln was sitting with General Grant around a campfire and he, uh, Lincoln quoted his Secretary of State, William Seward, as saying this about what happened during the Civil War. And the quote is this. There was always just enough virtue in this republic to save it, sometimes none to spare, but still enough to meet the emergency. And we have to ho- hope that, that that virtue is still there, just enough, maybe none to spare, but just enough to see us through to the other side. Yeah, that's good. I'm 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 good with that. That's oh. not Seward's folly. That's Seward's success. All right, let's move on to our hot take segment. This week we're going to cover how the different candidates did in the latest Democratic debate. This week we're going to have sixty seconds to discuss each one or group of candidates. And when you hear this sound, it's time to move on to the next candidate. So, Patrick, first, let's go with Joe Biden. What did you see? Joe Biden in this debate, and I take the long view uh, that he might not have won the debate. But he wasn't attacked and he was able to remind people, hey, I'm the guy that Donald Trump is worried about. I'm the guy that Vladimir Putin is worried about. I'm the guy that Kim in North Korea is worried about. And I think that played well for him, that uh, it was just simply a reminder. Yeah, I am the front runner for a reason. Yeah, Uh, well, I I I think that helped. I was watching the beginning of this from this event that I was at. I could hear the volume, and Joe Biden came out of the gate slow, slow, slow. And I went, oh, no, Joe, this is not really good for you. He did find his footing a little bit later on. And then at the end, the moment where he said that the only African-American female senator is supporting him with Kamala Harris on the stage, two doors down, perhaps— it was, was it was obvi- another sign. Yeah, it was obvious. I mean, he's talking about Carol Mosley Braun, for right. the first African American women senator from Illinois, um, and he made a mistake. But, I'm yeah. right here. Yeah. That was a good moment <laughs> yeah, for that was her. A good moment. Okay, Elizabeth Warren. What do you think? Of- well, going back to what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, there is a, a less giddy up in the step these days. She has really taken her hits in terms of Medicare for all. If you notice, she did make a small shift last night. Instead mm-hmm. of saying we're going to come in and do Medicare for all. She said, we're going to find hopefully Medicare for all in year three, 
which was a surprise and, and a difference from what she was doing before. She does not have the same strength that she had before. One way you can tell is that people weren't going at her in the same way. Uh, I didn't think it was a yeah, strong Yeah, I think so. I think her. that was interesting. Um, she, you know, she had the most talking time during this debate. And when I saw that figure, I was surprised because mm-hmm. I didn't feel that she was much of a presence in this debate. Mm-hmm. Right, I thought she to me, yeah, she seemed a little uncertain. Is it almost and, a and situation where where you know you get to the front of the line and you start to get nervous and you start to play scared and then all of a sudden that's when you lose the front of the line? Yeah, I think so. It almost feels that way. I think so because right, so now there's uncertainty building. She's been under attack. She's had to make some changes because there's some some uncertainty, and I don't think she helped herself change that at all. How about Bernie Sanders last night? What did you think? Uh, Bernie Sanders is Bernie Sanders. I say that every time we do debate analysis, right? Uh, you know, he brings Bernie to the table. Uh, you know, he's not wavering at all from what uh, he stands for. Uh, he jumps in with great, funny comments. Uh, I, you know, he's enjoyable to watch, but he's got his base and his base doesn't move. Okay, I'm actually going to take a slightly different tact on this now. First off, as I think I said, with that heart attack may have been the best thing that could have ever happened to his campaign because he is stronger now than he ever was before. He's walking around without the blockages, and he's in better shape. He's not gasping for breath. Also, because Elizabeth Warren is sort of playing so far to the left, if Elizabeth Warren drops out, if she drops out and it's just not going to happen for her, I can see Bernie Sanders, with all the money that he has in the bank, having some staying power and almost seeming, you know, before he was such an absolute radical, you know, and everything's in comparison now. Compared yeah, to I, Elizabeth Warren, it's, you know, how, he's not that far far left. I, don't I mean, he is, yeah. but he's not. I don't think that's a bad take on that one. Okay, how about... Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> how about Kamala Harris? <laughs> well, she had her, I, I thought, her best night that we've seen her have since the first debate where she came out strong. I think she's sort of figuring out, she's had a lot of time, she's struggling. Uh, she's really figuring out her best spot is to be the prosecutor. And that's really what she brought to the table. She also really <laughs> took Tulsi Gabbard out last night mm-hmm. um, and put her in a, in a place um, so I thought she had one of her better nights and kind of, it was like a little sparkle coming out of her eyes again. It was great. It was, yeah. it was nice to see. It was nice to see. I think, yeah, if you, if you analyze this in isolation as a single event, I, I would probably agree with you. But again, I'm taking the long view. How does this help reposition her in her campaign? And I don't think it does. I really don't think, I think the, the back and forth that she had with Gabbard is, is kicking down uh, it's okay though, but it also but, is showing strength, right? But even down. Uh, and that's fine. That's fine. Um, but I just, I, I kept getting the sense that this was more an audition for VP because she yeah, didn't take out. She, she didn't take. She didn't take out Buttigieg but, when she had the chance. But who would she VP? She did not take out Buttigieg when she. Do so you had think the she'd chance. be Buttigieg's VP? Because I do All not right. think she'd be Joe Biden's. All right. Okay. Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard. Okay. So we just talked about this. Tulsi Gabbard. I think for the first time we finally saw the other candidates be annoyed that she is sharing a stage with them for the Democratic nomination, for the nomination of the Democratic Party, because I think they finally had it with her, um, calling herself a Democrat. And that came out. And obviously, we just talked about the Harris exchange with her. But I think uh, that became crystal clear. And almost she made it seem that way. I think she probably had even her strongest statement against the party itself. Uh, having Mayor lost Pete, his way. Yeah. I, w- I think Mayor Pete put the final nail in that coffin yeah. when, you know, anytime, look, Mayor Pete, he's such a nice fella, but boy, he can punch back. 
Yeah. You know, he. But I think Gabbard. Yeah, times he, in a row. But the, but I think this is was the the final straw, I guess, or whatever you want to say about asking the question for people who are watching at home, saying, okay, why is Ga- Tulsi Gabbard seeking the Democratic nomination? Well, I think she's seeking yeah. the Democratic nomination just long enough that she can be a third party candidate. That's always been my intention in my yeah. mind. Yeah. Well, okay. She's end up so being. let's uh, let's group these uh, two together. They got the least talking time, and that's uh, Andrew Yang and uh, Tom Steyer. What did you think? Man, I like me some Andrew Yang still. I do too. I'm telling you. you I, he, re- he got short. Uh, yeah, he really, he got the least talking time there, and that really was unfair. Here's a but, guy who's who's yeah. who's rising a little bit. Um, who's he's going to be in the December debate? He deserves a little bit more time. He deserves a little bit more respect than he he's got. He's really good. I, he's a he's very friendly, and I can see him. I mean, I'm, you know, how about that? How about Mayor Pete if he's the nominee? Throwing Andrew Yang on as his VP and no, get no, a little no. it's gotta Clinton. It's going to be a woman on the ticket. All right, fair enough. It should, it should be a woman on the ticket too. I no, agree I'm not with saying that. should. Is that there will be? It's, well, it's, there's no question in my then, mind that there will then, be a woman on the ticket. But Yang Yang was great. Steyer, oh, I hesitate to say this. Uh, he, he, he's got interesting dental issues. He, he's very unique <laughs> because when he talks, the bottom of his mouth flaps quite a bit and you really get a good look at the bottom of his teeth. Now, I, I, I have not had the best teeth in the world, though I've been spending the last three weeks, an hour or a week in the periodontist office getting my teeth worked on. Yeah, do you have wooden teeth? No, oh, but okay. I, that's part of why. I got yeah. a little too method acting through the through those years. Okay, moving on to a, you know someone who we both like, Amy Klobuchar, and how she did last night. What did you think? Uh, I I continue to think Amy Klobuchar is positioning herself for uh, a potential breakthrough if the logjam uh, breaks out in Iowa, and I think she continues to to do that. Again, her 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 jokes her her they don't come off as well. The, no. the little all shuck stuff that she does does not. She still doesn't know how to do that on nervous. TV. It and works. Yeah, yeah. She gets nervous. Ugh, it's frustrating. I need. I need. Amy she does Klobuchar. it. She does it well in person. Meditate. She's in a room of a hundred people. It, it works in the flow of her speeches, but in and a ninety-second response on national TV, standing in front of a camera, she just she just can't make that. Well, work. she's she's got. It'll work okay for her in Iowa. It's the the state directly south of her. She does have an opportunity. I still think that Biden. I actually think Biden had a far worse night than you did last night. I, I think that he he struck me, just going back to Biden, because it gives an opening for Klobuchar. If Biden falls, there's space for Klobuchar. Okay, let's move on to Cory Booker from Newark, New Jersey. Yeah, Cory Booker uh, probably had his best debate. And he's always You know, had, we say that every time. Right, Patrick. and he's always had as good a debate, right? And we his always best say debate. it. <laughs> and he raised a lot of money, and yeah. he's still polling at 1% or 2%. Yeah. Um, again, uh, but I think he had, I, I will say, qualitatively, he, he was somewhat different in this debate mm-hmm. than I think in the past. He was somewhat more presidential. And I mean that in the sense that, oh, you can now see him. And this is the analogy I use for, for Cory Booker all the time, or the metaphor is that, you know, a lot of voters out there look at him as the cheerleader. Love his message, love him, want him on his team, love his enthusiasm, but they don't see him as the quarterback. I think he called a few plays last night that helped. I that agree with you. He also, him. we talked about this in his very first debate. He said in his very first debate, this is one of our first episodes, as president of the United States, remember, and he went up right. with it, and as president of the United States, and I went and I said at the time, he doesn't believe he's going to be president of the United States. Last night he said, as president of the United States, and I went, ah. There you go. There you go. There you go. Last on our list. Our friend 
from Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Mayor Pete Buttigieg had a very interesting night at the ball last night. I mean, he really, as Prince Charming that he was to so many people in, in the country, Mayor Pete was uh, was really attacked, uh, not as much as one might expect, right. but when he was attacked, people were almost afraid to go there because they mm-hmm. had a lot of quotes to, to take him down. Uh, Kamala Harris, she short-armed it. She said, well, you know, he apologized for the Kenya photo. Amy Klobuchar, she said, well, you know, I mean, Mayor Pete, I'm a big fan of his and he has every right to be up on the stage. So people weren't taking their shots until Tulsi Gabbard did. And then, as we said, he put him in the place. He's a fantastic political animal. He, he really is good. Her. Yeah, he, he shredded did. her. Very similar and, to what he did to Beto. Similar. And... and What's going to be interesting is that these other candidates who are looking at him and saying, oh, we're going to have to take him out in December if he keeps rising, just got a lesson in how prepared he is on the on the fly to yeah. go right for the, you know, go right for the jugular, know exactly what to say to defend himself and to take you out at the same time. It was a it was, look, it was a it was a it's 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 always good to see these debates and to really dive into um, where these candidates are. They're working so hard and they're hoping to find the right the right key to open up the lock that will take President Trump and turn him into a citizen again. So now it's time to move on to our Guardian of the Week. This is where we find someone in public life who is putting the country's interests ahead of either their political interests or their own. And this week, I think we agreed, instead of a Guardian of the Week, we're going with Guardians of the Week. Yes, although I don't think we're in complete agreement on how many Guardians there are, mm-hmm. uh, but certainly Certainly, um, those who decided to testify over the last seven days, and uh, I think atop of my list, without question, are Ambassador Yovanovitch and Lieutenant Colonel Vinman. Agreed. Just, I mean, they they are out there. Uh, they have suffered so much personally and professionally uh, for their willingness to stand up and do what they believe is right, and that is the true definition of a, of a guardian of the republic. I'm going to throw I, – I, I would still like to put um, Jennifer Williams in there because she stepped forward working in uh, Vice President Pence's office and was willing to step forward and to talk about how wrong what happened on that call was. Um, and we, we're, in, we're not in agreement on this last one, and no. I'm not sure I'm right. Um, but I do want to say about Gordon Sondland, you know, it could have been the John Dean moment. Didn't quite get all the way there, yeah. but he could have just as easily just taken the fifth or not shown up at all. He was told by the White House and by the State Department not to go. Well, there's a lot of other people like that. John Bolton is like that. Yeah, but again, I'm not sure he showed up to be a guardian of the Republic or, as you mentioned earlier in this show, a guardian of his himself and his family. Fair enough. But in the process of guarding himself and his family, he, uh, he was serving to guard the republic but i think we are in absolute agreement at least on yovanovich uh, vinman and yeah, williams yeah but yes i agree with you vinman maybe above all because yeah yovanovich too i mean they they they've really they've really done um yep. great service to our country all right that's it for this week's edition of guardians of the republic To make sure to subscribe, please, to get the latest episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And please consider giving us a rating or telling your friends so they can also find us. Also, check us out at our website at guardians-republic.com 
or on Twitter at GuardiansOTR. Ah, thanks for joining us. And a special program note, we're going to take a break for Thanksgiving, but we will be back with a new podcast in two weeks. And we're going to leave you now with this reminder about why we're so thankful to be Americans. This is Congressman Maloney asking Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman why he feels he can speak out. You realize when you came forward out of sense of duty that you were putting yourself in direct opposition to the most powerful person in the world. Do you realize that, sir? I knew I was assuming a lot of risk. And why do you have confidence that you can do that and tell your dad not to worry? Congressman, because this is America. This is the country I've served and defended, uh, that all of my brothers have served, and here, right matters. Thank you, sir.